Welcome to the first in a series of podcasts from Natural Direction. We aim to bring you relevant, practical solutions to current leadership issues to help you build strong leading businesses and strong business leaders. My name is Martin Coburn, and I am the Managing Director of Natural Direction, a business I set up 10 years ago. I spent the previous 15 years at Rogen SI, formerly the SI Group, where I was one of the founding partners. We had grown from six people in 1994 to some 150 employees some 15 years later, with a worldwide reach and a turnover of around 18 million. I've always been very conscious of the fact that when you're standing in front of groups and you're talking about leadership and change, motivation, engagement, actually, what does it feel like to have to do it yourself? To be able to get people to follow you in a certain direction that they may or may not actually believe is the right direction. And particularly when you have bright, sharp people who have good opinions of their own and are entitled to those opinions, it's much harder to get those people to travel some distance with you and stay on the course. So it's with this particular first broadcast, I'd really like to talk about the art of being able to manage people through change. I was recounting a story of how we've been working with a particular client over the last couple of years and the level of change and success we've been, we, both of us have been able to have together with this client. And the question came back, well, yeah, but how do you actually do it? I can hear you get those results, but how do you actually get people to change? I get the whole vision bit. I get the whole strategy bit. You know, you, you tuck yourself away in a room. You decide what your direction's going to be. You've got a very clear view of what that is. But what happens if the people don't want to come with you? What happens if there's resistance, as there inevitably will be? How do you get those people to change? How do you get them to come on the journey with you? So I'd like to talk a little bit about the cultural aspect of change, how to create cultural change. And secondly, the personal element. How do we get people to personally move? If you're an experienced leader listening to this or you're a first-time leader, you will no doubt at some point have been on the receiving end of having to communicate some organisational change. And you will know only too well the difficulties you can experience in implementing those changes. You're not exactly pushing on an open door, but that's where the skill comes in. If we're going to be successful at driving change, we first of all need to understand the deep psychological associations that people have with the word change itself. I'd almost prefer we didn't actually have to use the word change because of the deep negative uh, psychological associations we have with that word. In fact, as a tip, the least you can use that word in any form of change program, um, the better. Find something interesting, alternative, or a name for your program, but really avoid using the word change as much as you can. One of the activities I play in our workshops is we ask people to face each other, we ask people to observe each other, and then we ask them to stand in the opposite direction so they can't see each other. And then I ask them to change three things about themselves. And then after a short time, they spin back round, and I ask them to try and observe those changes. It's a bit of fun, gets a few laughs, people do some crazy stuff. I then maybe do this a couple of times. And then I stop the group and I say, what I'd like to know is, what are you doing to create that change? What actions are you taking? And I can almost guarantee, with some degree of certainty, 
that the bulk of the people in the room will either be taking something away or, at best, swapping something over that is already there. The stark reality is that our deep psychological association with change is that I'm going to lose out. What's going to be taken away? What's not going to be the same? I'm going to be unfamiliar. Will I be able to survive in this new world? I then asked the team, what other thing could you have done to have created three changes that perhaps might have been more fun, more innovative and easier to do? And eventually someone will say, well, as I have done, or I've added something, I've taken a, a coat or a hat and put it on or put a pen behind my ear. I then asked the group to say, right, go ahead and make five additional changes without your partner seeing back to back, make five additional changes. And very easily, there's lots of laughter in the room, there's lots of energy, the changes are made, and people then are asked to you know, notice those particular changes. But the point is made. Essentially, whenever you say to somebody, there's going to be some change, the default place we go to is, what am I going to lose out? What's not going to be the same? What is not going to be as good? We are not seeing it as an ad experience. What is to be gained from this? What could be great about it? What's going to be better in the new world? So as practitioners of change, this is a really important point we need to get our heads around. And we should be mindful of it when we're communicating change to others. Think about it. If there is some change being announced in your own company, people typically don't go home to their respective partners in the evening and say, hey, guess what? Well, what, what? Well, there's going to be some change in our organization. They've announced today there's going to be some big wholesale changes in the organization. To which your partner is likely to say, well, what are the changes? I mean, what's going to happen? Well, guess what? Here's the really exciting thing nobody knows. That is typically not the reaction you're likely to get. In fact, quite the opposite. Much rather, we're likely to go home worried, concerned, uncertain about the future and seeking comfort and certainty. We come to work the next day, we ask more questions, we want to know what's going on. So I was having this conversation with a group the other day and I say, what to do? How do we deal with this constant level of change? How do we allay our team's concerns? How do we get people more comfortable with the idea of constant change? So I posed this question and one particular manager raised his hand and he said, well, what we should do is if you overly communicate why we're having the change. And I thought to myself, and I thought, actually, that's not a bad strategy, and it seems a very good, sound idea, and certainly it is certainly one of the things you should do. However, it's not the only thing you should do. The reason being is that let's supposing the change is now going to change, and you're now decided to move in yet another direction. You're going to have to go back to that same group of employees and explain to them why we're changing again. Now, of course, your credibility is dropping. But the reality is, with the rate and speed that change is happening, that actually simply is going to become more commonplace. It's no surprise then that we're starting to see the word entrepreneur or entrepreneurial spirit being used more frequently in larger big corporations. I do think some of those organisations I work with are trying to understand exactly what that means and possibly a certain amount of trepidation 
around introducing that word. But we have to look at the reason why. It's absolutely essential for larger organisations to remain nimble and agile, be able to respond to what's going on in the market in, in the same way a smaller organisation can. Smaller organisations increasingly are finding the barriers to entry into markets much easier. And they have that advantage of being smaller. So it's quite critical that we have that entrepreneurial attitude, that, that flexibility, that willingness to change and adapt to new environments that you tend to see in a smaller organization and the mindset that smaller organizations tend to cultivate, a kind of let's find a way, let's make it happen and a can-do type of attitude. Absolutely essential for larger organizations to adapt this in the same way. So whilst explaining the why behind the what of change is a useful place to start, we need to go further than that. We need to get our people change fit. In one of my clients in the last couple of years, I've been working with a large engineering group within their organization. One of the particular groups within this organization I've been working with for a substantially longer period of time. We've been through many developmental type programs, specifically around leadership and change. When this latest change came along, it's really fascinating for me to see how quickly or how ready the fit of the change team, the more likely they are to respond and act on the changes being required. They seem to get behind the program, they're excited by it, they're motivated by it, they're seeing reasons it will work, they're finding ways to get over problems, they're not getting trapped by a sort of a mindset that says this is never going to work. Why is that? Because they're change ready, they're change fit. They're more used to the idea that change is going to happen, change is all around us. It's part of what we do, it's part of the world we live in. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel that it's our job as leaders to try and take that pain away. In fact, quite the opposite. We need to help people through the pain so they become stronger for it. I don't mean physical pain, just to clarify. I'm talking about the emotional and psychological resistance to change that people have that we as leaders so busily trying to take that away from them, trying to make it okay, trying to justify it, where then you find yourself in a couple of weeks later or a month or so later having to yet explain another kind of change and feeling it's our job, it's our, we have to justify the change that we're making the organization that actually is not our fault. It could be a market pressure, it could be a structural change, it could be some other reason we're responding to purely to make sure that our organization is ready for those external pressures to make sure those employees we're leading remain competitive in, our, in those respective organisations. So it's not our job necessarily to justify each change and feel like we have to give a good reason why we're doing the particular change. What we have to have, however, and I think leaders, the, the, the strength of a great leader in 2019 and beyond are those that can get their teams ready for the world that we're now living in. And that is a world of change at an unprecedented level. It's quite interesting when you ask a group and you say, what are some of the changes we've all been impacted by in the world in general? What do you see going on? How do you think we're going to be living our lives 
five years from now? What changes have you seen in the last 10 years? Who's been in their working life for over 20? What changes have you seen in the last 10? There becomes a very quick realization. The speed of change around us, technology, the way we work, globalization, political changes, mobility, the list is endless. Everything is being done faster. When I first started out in this business 25 years ago, we used to talk about change. And we used to say, you know, change is the only constant, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we need to get over that. We need to get past that. And we just need to accept it as a way of being. That's my big point here. Let's not spend our time trying to justify these changes to our employees, but let's get them change fit. Let's get them, let's get them ready for the world that we're actually in. Focus your time on that mindset and you'll find that change will happen much faster in your organizations. This is a fundamental challenge for anybody. We have seen technology be able to transform our lives at a lightning pace. Things that used to take a year or a couple of years to happen in a business now can happen in six months. The challenge with this is that human technology has not kept up. Whilst new technology enables this change at an accelerated pace, the application of human technology, our understanding of how the brain functions and responds to change, has been lagging. So we have a mismatch. Technology enabled but resistant humans. In our experience, those businesses that invest in helping their staff, as is what this podcast is all about, become more agile in their thinking and prepare them mentally for change, they're better equipped to take advantage of the opportunities that the new technology actually brings. You get faster adoption rates, acceptance of ways of working, greater willingness to take risks and lead themselves are just a few of the ways in which organizations can capitalize on then becoming more agile. As I said before, our brains are hardwired to notice things that are changing around us. It's a primitive form of protecting ourselves, of making sure that we're safe. We're looking for difference, and we're not particularly good at being able to handle those differences. But with the right level of conditioning and, the, and talking about it and being open about it, not blaming people for it, not criticizing people for it, and not make people feel bad about it, but talking about it, but talking about it a way of saying, how can we get better at it, rather than actually trying to allay and take those fears away. One of the best ways to do this is through storytelling. Reflect on personal stories, things that have happened to you over your career, where perhaps you were worried about some change or anxious about it, and how you responded to that, but how inevitably... Things turned out well. They typically do turn out well. We typically do find a way. As much as we have this inbuilt resistance to it, we're also very resistant and very resilient as human beings. We bounce back, we find a way, eventually. But I wonder if we can do that faster. I wonder if we can get our people to be on the front foot and to jump a few of those leaps rather than having to go through the resistance bit the classic change curve of going through that denial and resistance before we finally get to acceptance. If we can do that, we're going to be able to help our teams enjoy the process of change more. So let me just share with you a process that we use, we found to be very successful. And it's a kind of 
a take on the classic William Bridges change curve. We describe this in through five phases. And in the first phase, we describe this as the sign-up phase, similar to what a gentleman in our programme is referring to. You need to start with why. As you all know, we're generally in a, in a state of complacency, feeling the word is all around us, there's no need to change, and then someone comes along and says, hey, do you realise if we don't change, you know, these are the things that are going to happen to us. Now, we have to get people to sign up to that, sign up to a new way of being and give them good reasons as to why we need to make um, those changes. And those changes both need to be rational and they need to be emotional. The second thing is to get people to join up, phase two, join up. I use the word join up because it conjures, conjures up to me a different energy to that of feeling like I'm being told to do something. When you join a club, you join a cycling club, you know, you join a football club, you join a political club, whatever it is, you, 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 are, you are voting with your feet, you are deciding to join. It's a willingness to go along. You want to get from something you join. And I coined this phrase from the great Monty Roberts, as you may know, was famous for his horse whispering. And he wrote a book by the name Join Up. And I read this book with great fascination as he describes the process of a horse taking the, the bridle and the saddle, not through some of the more traditional methods, but through the gentle process of um, his coaching methodologies, horse whispering methods. You've no doubt seen the film. And he also, in his book, he describes how he fostered over some 30 or 40 children. And his speciality was to take children that had been from one various uh, foster home to another, and generally very difficult children. And he took the very same methodology, completely inspiring. I highly recommend you take a look at that book and read it, Join Up by Monty Roberts. So Join Up, this is about enrolling others in, your, uh, in the direction you want of travel you want to go in your organisation. So they're clear on why we need to do it, and they're clear on the, the direction we want to go. Then the question, phase three, is what we call show up. And showing up is about making it happen. As you know, in the classic change curve, this is the process we go through when we're transitioning from a place of, well, I didn't really feel I needed a change to one of, okay, I'm now starting to accept that in a new world, we need to be different. We need to act differently. We need to behave differently. We may need to work differently. So in this phase, it's about providing people a way forward. As people transition through this, they need guidance. They need direction. They need coaching. So it's that the ability to be able to reward those behaviours that are going in the right direction. And if you followed my earlier advice that you've talked about world global climate changes around you and the speed of that change, when you're simply asking them perhaps to work with a different team or work with a new CRM system or work in a new part of the building um, or work with a, a, you know, a new style of uh, consulting or working with clients, it doesn't seem that great when they compare it to the big global changes that are going on around them. It's their part to play in remaining competitive. 
Not a great deal to ask by comparison. Phase four is about power up. This is where we've now got people instigating the change. They're working with you. They're on, they're on the trail. They're providing ideas. There's a higher energy. There's, a, there's an excitement. There's an anticipation about the new world. So this is where we can start to supercharge performance. And you reward those people that are doing well. You keep supporting the other people that need more help. And you provide new tools, new ideas. And in fact, you know, what we've done in our, the organization I was referring to earlier with these engineers, we're starting to back away. We're moving further and further away, empowering them to take on the changes themselves, putting people in positions of responsibility, whereas perhaps they haven't had that role before. Giving a new set of people the opportunity to shape the future. It's amazing what happens is when you give people that sense of responsibility, they grab it with both hands. They don't hold back. And they're excited to have that opportunity to be able to shape things. It's often we as the leaders that need to get out of the way. We can, we can feel that we need to keep nursing them, guiding them, holding their hands. But in fact, when you get out of the way, people will take responsibility. People will take up the slack and they'll run with it. I fundamentally believe in people's capacity for change. For those of you who are well-read on neuroscience, you will know about the term neuroplasticity. The brain's ability to reorganize itself. Um, it's the change in the neural pathways and synapses that occur due to certain factors like behavior, environment, or neural processes. Now, during these changes, the brain engages in these synaptic, it's called synaptic pruning. Synapses being the kind of the jumps that the brain is making between these neuron uh, connections. Deleting the neural connections that are no longer necessary or useful and strengthening the necessary ones. This is quite fundamental. The brain literally has the ability to rewire itself, providing we make the change we do want to see far more attractive and we make the change we don't want to see less attractive. The challenge we have Generally, at the point we're asking someone to change, it's the opposite way around. So when me and my practitioners within our organization are implementing change, we're very mindful of this. We're constantly thinking, how can we make this new change more attractive? So the brain, when it hears about the change, it, it wants to go towards something that is exciting, that is new, and it wants to move away from something that is less attractive. And that's the psychological secret to getting the change to happen. Just barking commands at people or, come, or, or, or talking about it in a rational way is simply not going to move um, your organization or your, or your culture. The final stage, phase five, is what we call flourish. Think plants flourishing in the wild or a new garden starting to take hold and grow. It's a symbol of health and vigorous growth. And this, of course, is the result of the discipline work you put in the winter and the spring months, pruning, fertilizing, and the care you provided to the young plants before they were able to support themselves. These are exactly the same conditions that allow your change to flourish and take hold. Phase one was all about sign up. Start with why. Understand the reason we need to change. What is the new outlook? A recognition that things could be better than they are. Phase two is inviting people to join up, enrolling others. What is critical about this stage is listening. 
understanding their points of view, where does the resistance coming from, and not criticizing them for that resistance, but being prepared to talk, talk them through. And you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot, learn a lot from them. In the project we were involved with, we learned a lot from listening and taking that feedback and remodeling some of our aspects of our proposed change. Phase three is about show up. This is where we start to see some of those green shoots coming through, and it's where the very foundations for success are set. If we spend time here, continuing the dialogue, listening, conversations, giving them tools, helping them out of a potential state of confusion or fear even, uh, to a place where they feel more confident, that sets a really strong foundation, strong roots for a healthy growth in the future. Phase four then is about power up, supercharging performance, and giving those leadership roles to those people that have shown some initiative and want to lead. It's amazing how some of those people early running the program who are most resistant suddenly become your strongest advocates and strongest leaders at this stage. So give them leadership responsibility and let them loose. By following these phases, I'm confident your change will flourish. That certainly has been my experience. Each project obviously varies, and every culture, of course, is different, and therefore might require slightly different approaches. But essentially, the five phases absolutely deliver great results. When you combine these phases of work with some of the earlier thinking I was talking about personal change, you are well on your way to becoming an amazing change leader. And let's be absolutely clear, your ability to lead change is going to be a standout skill for future leaders. Be at the forefront of promoting agility within your own organization. And you will be a leader that everybody wants to be led by. And that's exactly my motivation and the purpose behind these podcasts, to provide some relevant, practical and easy to apply ideas to make you a better leader a leader that people will want to be led by. For more information about promoting agility in your organisation, drop into our website at naturaldirection.co.uk and let's start a discussion. Thank you for listening and see you next time.